Hi guys, today I was joined on the podcast by Tony Christie. Tony is a current rugby coach for Canterbury Rugby in New Zealand and Matatu Women's Rugby in New Zealand. We had a really interesting conversation, mainly around skill development, how you prioritise your SNC training versus your skills training, and how you deal with your confidence during games. He gives some really good techniques for what to do when you make a mistake in games and how to keep your head up. Enjoy. Just to start with, like, talk to me about your story as a coach. Um, how have you ended up where you are now? I was a player myself. Um, then about 19 years of age, went through a, a bad injury run. So I had six surgeries in eight years, cut with three ACLs, knees and um, some hips and whatnot. So um, at the, the old age of 25, the broken down horse decided to, to chuck it in. Um, so from there, at the same time, when I was going through those injuries, I was studying to be a PE teacher and I was also teaching at um, Shirley Boys High School uh, in my local area. So I was coaching through that time, but just doing a couple of younger age teams. Wasn't really taking the coaching thing too seriously. I was still focusing on the playing. Uh, and then once I couldn't do that anymore, I still wanted to be involved in the game. Uh, so got involved with my local club that I was playing with and started coaching the Colts team. Um, from there, was lucky enough to do in my first year the Canterbury Under-18 rep side and then also um, was the assistant coach of the Canterbury Men's Sevens team. Um, and then that turned very quickly into the head coach of the team. Um, so, yeah, all of a sudden I was a, was a 26 and, yeah, coaching a, a men's Rep Sevens team, so it was a pretty quick journey. Um, from there, the following year was um, got the assistant role of the Canterbury Women's team, um, and then have done that last two years. And then this year was my first year with uh, Matatu, which is it's the uh, South Island Women's Rugby team. So it's the Crusaders and the Highlanders have combined. Um, under the governance of the Crusaders to form this new team called Matatu. So we play against the the Blues, Chiefs and the Hurricanes. So they are the three um, men's franchises. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I can imagine when you were a player, sort of if you had the knowledge that you do now, you'd, you'd have been a much better player. Um, I think that's the same for all coaches. So like, if you could go back and tell yourself as a player a few things, what would that be? Mm. Yeah, it would probably be to not take things so seriously with my rugby. Um, I'd often get, I guess, overworked or um, over caught up in the game and hated making mistakes um, and would let bad performances really affect me, um, both on the field and then after the game. And it was quite interesting because I'd, I'd played touch at the same time um and touch I was never as serious about but I actually performed a lot better in touch because I was didn't kind of fear those mistakes and it was a game touch where you can kind of pull the trigger a bit more without that if you make a mistake then it's just a turnover and you get another crack at it five six touches later so um that would probably be the biggest one um because yeah I don't know if I probably enjoyed it as much as I probably should have um, because of that. Um, other advice, 
probably not to rush back through injuries. <laughs> uh, it would be a big one for me personally. But yeah, the advice I give, because I'm still involved, I'm still teaching at the high school and involved in their, their rugby academy. But the advice that I give those boys is all the little extra work that they do really adds up. So, for example, um, I talk about big thing we used to do a lot of when we were younger is playing at lunch and intervals and before school. So if we're doing 15 minutes before school, 15 minutes at the interval and then another half an hour at lunch, there's an hour in the day. And you do that five days a week and you're just playing with your mates, you're playing touch, you're playing rugby league or, you know, walking held or anything. But that's an hour a day and then five hours or a week and then all of a sudden a term there's 50 hours and all of a sudden in a year you've done two hours of training without knowing it and that kind of principle can be implied to to everything so you same thing you, you get before practice you do extra work after practice um in the gym between your sets if you were to say do five passes same logic you have 20 sets maybe in your gym program um there's the 100 passes you do that three times a week there's 300 and then yeah, you do that 10 weeks, there's 3,000 passes that um, really simply you can get into your week. So, yeah, a couple of messages there would be obviously enjoy it, don't fear the mistakes, and then just continue to, to work um, extra in your own time. Yeah, um, I definitely want to talk about um, like skills, practice sort of things, but just going back to what you said about the mental side, um, I think it's incredibly common for people well, like just to be too hard on themselves and especially as a rugby player, like the more you care, obviously the easier it becomes to be harder on yourself. So um, have you got any sort of like, like for someone listening to this right now who knows they're too hard on themselves, um, like what can they actually do to sort of help themselves? Like, mm. Yeah, it's one we're still learning about, but um, there's obviously things you can do like wash actions or wash, like wash trigger words. So it might be something you say, like next job, or it might be you clap your hands together or you pick up a piece of grass and you throw it away, pull up your sock or something that washes that action away. And then, then there's something that brings on that you focus on the next job. So that could be, again, as I said, could be a saying like next job or could be going and connecting with a teammate or something like that. But, um, yeah, really hard, easy to talk about, harder to do in the in the time. Um, but I guess the other thing is if you go into a game planning what you want to achieve um, and making sure that we obviously all strive to have the perfect game, but I say as a coach now to my nines and tens, for example, that they're making – over a hundred uh, actions in a game and probably making that many decisions as well. And they're not going to get a hundred percent. So if you were to make three mistakes, you're still at a 90%. And if you were to go into a, a maths or a science test and you got 97% at the end of it, you'd be pretty happy. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's probably the only advice I have at the moment. Do you really notice like, with players that you worked with has has there been sort of like a like change of performance with players who have started to focus on that um yeah we we're quite lucky with our setup with the women's program that we have sport um psychs working with them so they're working um quite closely like one-on-ones or team environments 
Um, so I couldn't take all the, the success there. But as a team, we have noticed a big change. And I think coaches play a big part in that role around allowing them to make mistakes. Or um, personally, as a coach, I'm big on praising the decision and effort rather than the outcome of what happened. Um, and always coming back to what are the reasons that you're pl- wanting to play the game? What are you trying to improve on? Like going into the future, do you think um, like that sort of side of the game is just going to grow a lot? I think that's that's the most important area. Um, that and your player well-being, obviously, if you... I know it's been said for years, but the whole top two inches thing um, has, has always been a real benefit, um, how you can handle your emotions and the well-being of an athlete. Um, we have a, a model here in New Zealand called Tafari Tapufa, which is, um, has four aspects to well-being, and it models itself on a fuddy, or that's a word, the Māori word for a, a house. And it talks about those four things needed to be equal and strong, otherwise one of the walls of the house falls over. So it's physical. So that's your, obviously your body and your conditioning. Um, then it's... You've got your social, which is your relationships with other people, your family, um, mental and emotional, your thoughts, your feelings, mental skills come under there, how to perform under pressure. And then the last one being spiritual, which is kind of like your why, what's your purpose in life, what kind of person you want to be. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's big. And under spiritual also is kind of your identity. So I think that's big around being the foundation for success. Um, so that in, encompassing the mental skills, because um, I think, yeah, if you have, you can have all the, the skills under the sun, but if you're anxious or nervous, um, you're fearing those mistakes, then you're either not wanting to be involved in that situation or you start to clam up, you get tense, which affects your movements, which you're more likely to make a mistake. What would you say to players who... They put so much pressure on themselves to get to the point where they just stop enjoying it. So, like, every, every week is just like, oh, I made this many mistakes. Like, if, if the whole thing just becomes about what do my coaches think of me, what do teammates think of me, what, what do people watching think of me, um, and then they just stop enjoying it. It's like, what would you say to them to get them back in a place where they can start enjoying it again? Mm. I'd ask them what was the reason, and they might not be able to remember, but why do they think the first time they started playing rugby, why was that? And what do they enjoy about rugby? Um, And getting them back to, okay, if it's uh, what I enjoy about rugby is tackling, well, that might be a focus of the game. They might just want to go out and they might want to try and put a a good shot on. Um, Or it could be I really enjoy... Um, beating somebody one-on-one. So it might be going back and, okay, and the focus for this game is you're going to go out there and you're going to try and um, beat someone one-on-one. Or it could be, I really love the the feeling when all the, our team works together and scores a try. Like, well, the focus of this is when, you, when our team scores a try, you're going to really go over and make a point of celebrating. Um, so just going back to, yeah, the reason why they play the game and what do they find enjoyable about it? Yeah, and what about um, players who, like, maybe they really enjoy one part of their game and then another part of their game they don't enjoy, but they sort of, like, have to do it, if you know what I mean. So maybe um, a hooker 
loves he loves just playing rugby, but he hates everything to do with having to throw in lineups. Like it seems like the only way you can sort of deal with that is just by learning to enjoy that specific skill. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Um, so yeah, a hooker, for example, not enjoying the lineout throwing. I guess it comes down to usually when you're competent at something, you enjoy doing it more because you have you have a bit more success. So if the my advice would be there is if we can increase your competence or your ability to throw that in, then confidence comes from competence. Um, so if we can yeah get some more success in practice, and then hopefully that translates to the game. And then also unpacking, I guess, what are you feeling when you're going to be throwing that ball in? What are the thoughts that are coming? And redirecting those thoughts. So if the thoughts are, oh, shit, um, I always overthrow this or redirect it to I'm going to throw this target 10 centimetres shorter than where I usually do. I'm going to try and aim to hit there. Yeah, if that helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to go a bit more into like the skill development side of things. Um, you're talking a bit about how important it is just to, like it just sounds like getting reps and reps and reps every day is much more important than sort of one um, maybe big session or like a few big sessions like a few times a week. Yeah, I think... Even though I think quantity is really important for a young athlete growing up, but that's got to be quality at the same time. There's no point going out and doing a hundred kicks in a row. Whereas I'm more about variable practice. So you might do five of this kick and you might go and do five of another type of kick and then come back to that five. Or you might do five different kicks or one different one in a row. Um, so variable over mast. Uh, there's lots of research behind um, if you can keep changing the target or keep changing what you're doing, it's more likely to stay and stick as a movement pattern um, rather than continually doing it over and over because your body stops adapting to what you're doing. Um, so yeah, my advice would be, although we want to get quantity in our week, focus on the, the quality of that. Make sure it's variable so it's always changing and as much as possible, depending what stage you're at, trying to practice that under pressure. So I use the, the analogy, I guess, of a baby. Um, a baby can't run until it's crawled. So yes, you've got to go through those stages. but pressure over perfection so once you get to a reasonable stage and you can jog you're at that stage then it's not just going for a jog a 40k jog it's you might start having trees that you've got to run around uh, you've got somebody chasing you all those types of to things so if you put that into a skill context um, increasing the speed uh, increasing defenders or having defenders there, um, 
putting time constraints on your performance, having performance measures or targets, having consequences in your practice, um, some different ways you can kind of add some pressure in there. So just to give an example, like um, for a kicker, what's a way that they could um, add some more pressure to their uh, kicking session or consequences? So goal kicking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do a bit of our kickers under fatigue. So they might be, we might say, for example, they're playing a conditioning game and we might pull them out and they might have to take a, a goal kick under pressure. Or it might be at the end of the game, two teams have been playing against each other and you've got to now take this penalty and the whole game decides on it. Um, or it can be somebody sitting there next to them yelling at them or um, somebody charging actually a bit closer than they usually would be. Um, what else have we done before pressure-wise? Oh, and then consequences, doing things like, okay, if you get uh, four out of five here, you I'll buy you a coffee. If you get three or less out of five, you have to buy me a coffee. Or... Um, yeah, I'm, quite, I'm lucky enough to uh, live next to a, a shot putter uh, that competes on the world circuit and his consequences he has is um, crazy. He's like tattoos on his body, um, shaving heads, has to do baking, uh, has to pay for whole dinners of people. So they take it to that next extreme there. But um, some ways, for example, they do around consequences in their training. That's really interesting. I've never heard of like someone using consequences like that. So I'm, I'm guessing that's just to like try and sort of recreate the pressure of a, of a game without actually having it just a bit, get a bit closer than like your standard training session, which is just totally different to um, the pressure of people watching and like a scoreline. Yeah, there's a good book um, called The Rise of Superman. And it's about how um, like X Factor sports, so like rock climbing, skating, snowboarding, those types of sports their skill level has just gone crazy improvements compared to your traditional sports um, and the records they've been able to set and whatnot. Um, and they put that down to they're always training in a high-consequence environment. So if they stuff up, there's a real risk there that they're falling um, off a cliff or they are hitting snow or uh, those types of things. So that's where the logic from that has come from. Um, it's just putting you in environments where you're under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and that you have to nail your stuff. Did that answer your question, sir? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, Might have just gone on a tangent there. Yeah, no, that's that's really helpful. So we spoke about, you said a bit about earlier, something um, along the lines of like helping to stay in the present when you're sort of um, worried about what other people are thinking. Have you got any sort of, um, I guess, like other techniques for that? Yeah, staying in the present, there's, I guess it's first being able to aware, uh, be aware of where your thoughts are. Are they looking at what's just happened? And if so, if you're looking at what's happened, what lens are you looking at through? Is it you're looking at it to learn, to put it into the next task or the next focus? Or is it just looking back in pity? or an anger or um, annoyance. If you're looking back at annoyance, then 
how's that going to help on the next job? Because there's a there's a, a cycle as well and, and mental skills of that. What you focus on is what you remember, and then what you remember um, becomes habit, and then what becomes habit is what becomes performance. So, for example, if it's a two-on-one and um, you threw a horrible pass and it hit the ground, and all you can focus on is that horrible pass and that you my 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 hands went on the ground instead of going up in the air, then next time you've still got that memory in your head. Whereas if you, you flip that around, you start going future focus with it, is around focusing on moments of perfection and moments you did that really well, or visualising what that would look like at its best. So you've got a player coming towards you, two on one, I'm going to take them this way. I'm passing, my follow-through's high, it's hitting the ball, it's hitting the, my receiver on the chest, he go or she goes away and scores. Um, so visualisation, one method. Other way just to get back in the present is, again, some of those wash words or wash actions. I know some people will use, like, water bottles to s- s- spray on their head, or they might give themselves a little pinch on the finger. Um they might go and connect with a teammate, depending on what kind of person they are. Um, some people might smile, which seems weird, but it's actually been quite effective and make, make a mistake and it's a smile and remembering that why they play the game type thing. Um, so, yeah, it's probably all I can remember off the top of my head about Sam Prison. <coughs> That, that's really, really interesting. What about reviewing games? I've been in review sessions before where it's just, it just seems like even if you win, you just don't want to be there because a lot of the time, um, maybe a coach is focusing on uh, just like outcome-based sort of mistakes. Um, like what's your sort of thoughts on that? How was, What does a good review session look like to you versus a bad one? Mm. So I'm big on as I was saying before, about moments of perfection, reviewing those. So reviewing, we're big in our team on reviewing effort. Um, So showing clips of where somebody's worked really, really hard, regardless of the outcome. Uh, And then showing moments of perfection when we do things really well. So there's two ways you can, I guess, review a game. You could go through and look for the, 70 times that the an effective clean-out was, or you could look and you could get the five images of when we actually really know what an effective clean-out looks like. Um, so it's that cycle, again, of showing them the desired behaviour. Um, as an athlete, though, <laughs> if your coach isn't like that, that can be um, tough um, because it's, yeah, continually highlighting. Like, we will, we will highlight areas we need to get better in but if we put it in a ratio we're probably we're looking more towards the three to one so more positive to negative and I think that's important for the younger players regardless of what your coach is doing is always trying to in your review figure out what what did I do well or what am I most proud of today and then looking at what can I improve next week but trying to keep it to that ratio where you're looking at well and above a three to one of the positives 
um, so that we continue remembering all the good things that we're doing. So that reinforces our habits and behaviours. What about, um, I don't know if you have any advice here, what about a player when they make a mistake in a game and like, like leading up to review, like they know it's going to come up, it comes up, like they're sitting there thinking everyone thinks they're an idiot. They spend the next few days like dwelling over in their head and like it could it could stick in their head for like years pretty much. So um have you got any ad- advice for that? Because I feel like every player is gonna have to deal with that sort of thing at some point. Yeah, I think the best way there is probably to create a culture in your team where it's hand up. So you're take you're being accountable for that. So in a review, you say to your coaches before, if you're going to show that clip, that's cool, but can I just put my hand up and own that in front of the team and say that there wasn't good enough, I should have done this. Um, so it's getting away from the spotlight, I guess, being shone on you, but you actually grabbing that spotlight. Um, so just re- reversing that around a little bit. Um, yeah, the question would be, does, say it's a, a kick out in the full, does that need to be shown in a review? Because <laughs> the player knows they've stuffed up there. Everyone knows it's it's probably more uh, highlighting, personally as a coach, uh, highlighting areas that are unseen. Um, and as a coach, we often have those conversations with a player before if we were to ever go and show something that's individual mistake. And we'll be like, oh, you you can own this, or we can talk about this from there. Yeah, yeah. I want to get your opinion on players who have too much of their attention on on like their strength and conditioning, and a lot less on their skill set. Um, because often it seems like, especially if you're naturally maybe a bit smaller, like the thing that's really holding you back is your size. And then you get to a certain size, and your skill set isn't good enough. So, um, what would you what would you say about that? Like, is it just important to be very patient, and sort of the size will come, or like, how should you sort of think about it? Mm. Yeah, that's the, the big one. I'm always having a debate with my boys at school because um, everywhere in the world, I'd say New Zealand isn't no different. But it's that desire to get big and strong. Um, but if we look at the physics of it, um, collisions are one on force, so force v force, and that's mass, so the size you are, or accelerate, uh, mass times acceleration equals force. Um, so if you are a smaller player, I always tell them to focus on the speed and the agility that will allow them to win those collisions. Um, rather than the size because there'll come a time where everyone will just about be the same size once they grow but speed will, will vary um, obviously there's a difference there's there's the outliers some of the boys who are, are massive you might have a massive prop or a massive eight but generally the majority of professional players are all around that, that 100 click mark Um so, yeah, my focus that I talk to them about being at a young age, being fast and agile, and then the skill being the most important. Um, so that's why I'm big on boys doing skill work in between their sets in the gym. Um, if it compromises slightly, you're 
gains you're making in the gym, I don't see a big an issue because a lot of the stuff we do in the gym doesn't actually transfer to performance on Saturday anyway. Um, for example, doing a bench press. How does when do we use a bench press in a a skill in a rugby game? Very very little, um, if not um, no correlations. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm skill first, then spin agility, and then your strength and your size being last in those priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you were going to say something like that, so it's good to hear. Mm. Damien McKenzie is probably a good example from New Zealand. Very, very small. Um, I think he's playing super rugby under 80 kgs and, and ripping it up just through purely yeah, his speed and agility and his skill to be able to beat people. Yeah, I, I love watching him. And going back to what you said about the smile as well, like when he smiles when he kicks, um, it's probably to help him stay in the present. Mm. Um, so with some... Obviously, we don't have any sort of like video footage, but for um, players listening right now, like what's some of the best sort of drills that they can just do? I think the um, rebounder balls are pretty cool now that have come out. The ability to pass against the wall. I think back to my younger years and passing one ball in the backyard and chasing that down 20 metres and passing it back. But with that rebounder ball, you can get a lot of um, reps in. Um, So that would be a big one. On your own, yeah, I've got a belief that, well, there's actually a lot of research in it, but if you look at the All Blacks, for example, there's a lot of brothers in the team, and there's a good reason behind a lot of All Blacks have grown up in either big families or have grown up with somebody around their same age. Brothers, same thing with the Black Ferns and the Women's. Um, having sisters or other brothers that they can practice with in the backyard um, because same thing, it's all that unstructured play if you're going out and spending an hour in the backyard throwing a ball around, tackling, playing one-on-one. It's an hour of play, you're practicing your skills um, because, yeah, the game, while there's, there's things you can do individually, the game is a team game and a lot of it's based on perception and action. So perception being seeing what the opposition's doing and you responding. Um, so, yeah, around the, the individual stuff, my advice would be try and get a neighbour, get a brother or a sister, get a, a mum or a dad or somebody in the, the backyard or at the park that can can work with you. Um, but if, if it is one on or an individual, then obviously your basic kicking, passing, um, hard to, to do some of the contact stuff, but I think you can be smart around some of the jack or the um, mobility type work you do that allows you to get into those positions. So I also want to get your opinion on um, where you think rugby is headed as, like, as a game, um, what it's going to look like in like five years from now and what players should be doing um, with that in mind, with their training and sort of like skill development. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm lucky enough to uh, be in a group with New Zealand rugby coaches and, and have some webinars every few weeks. And one recently was with Wayne Smith. And um, his belief on the game is that in a few years, it'll be everything below 
um, the nipple line in terms of the tackle, which will open up huge amount of offloads in the game. So I think that's potentially with the concussions and the way that the game's going there, that there could be a reduction in the tackle height, which means more offloads. So the offload will become, I think, even more important um, than it currently has. Um, the concussion year is, is a, a concern. Um, but I think the S&C side of it will get smarter and around how we train. And it's already, there's a lot of work doing around the neck and making sure that's really strong to absorb um, some impact. Um, so, yeah, the, the offload. Um, there's a big emphasis at the moment on lots of kicking in the game because the defences are so good. But I think if there was a change around the offload law and the tackle height, I think there would be less kicking because it, I think it'll open up the game a bit more with the attacking side. So I think going ahead in the future, I think there will be a natural swing back to more attacking rugby, whereas at the moment, defences at the international level are really, um, really, really strong. So the emphasis is on, I think there's a stat around just about every breakdown, 15% chance that there's going to be a turnover. So I'm first phase, 15%, second phase, 30%, 45% chance for turnover, third phase. So that's why teams don't play very much rugby inside their own half. They're just willing to to kick it long, back their defence, force a turnover. Um, so I think, yeah, the attacking side will come back into it, um, particularly around the offloads. Do you think, um, especially like international rugby, within the next few years, do you think attacks going to be, become even more structured or um, a lot less structured? Like, what, what's the game sort of going to look like? Mm, I think it'll go to less structured. Um, yeah, with if that with the offloading thing was to come in, but even without it, uh, I think teams are so good now at, at seeing pods and shapes and being able to defend that. Um, and it's the ability to play behind the line, which will be really critical. So the ability to get your shoulders free past the defensive line. Um, and offload, um, attacking kicks, continuing. Um, yeah, I think the the unstructured flair will just be required to break teams down. But like how France is playing at the moment, I guess. What do you think? Like structured attack um, will look like when it's like that. Like, do you think it'll just be quite similar to like the way? Um, most teams structure their attack now and then they'll just be a lot more unstructured. Do you think the like actual structures um, will change and people will discover new structures? Mm. Yeah. Don't know, to be honest. It's, it's uh, yeah, thinking about what will happen in the future. Um, I'm trying to think. I watch a lot of rugby league at the moment, so I'm trying to think what's happening in that game because... Obviously, a lot of the structures and shapes that we use on attack now have come from league. Um, and what they've been doing. Um, I think potentially a lot more switch plays. So rather than looking to go straight to, to width and a lot really easy to read on defences, once you get to a width, 
they can bring lots of line speed because there's not a, a great chance of going from width to width these days. So I think lots of hitting, switching back. Um, the other thing is more emphasis probably on striking off first phase. Teams at the moment probably looking quite often to set up their attack for second, third, fourth phase. But um, if it's continuing as it with defences, then it's, it's less likely to be able to break. Um, so, yeah, more looking to strike off first phase. Um, and I think probably looking to kick more off first phase as well um, because of those same, uh, same, I guess, statistics that show the more uh, rucks that you have, the more likely it is to be turned over. So teams just in their own half looking to get rid of it straight away rather than the old crash in the midfield, set up a wall and kick. Okay, cool. Um, look, mate, thank you so much for coming on. That was um, honestly really interesting. And uh, as always, I'm sure everyone listening has found that really helpful.